Welcome to A Way Through, brought to you by Archway Academy, where education meets recovery. Archway is a sober high school in the sunny heart of Houston, Texas. We meet the individual educational needs of teens recovering from substance use disorder with care, compassion, respect, and rigor. Archway is the largest recovery high school in the nation, and we are here to remind you that you may not be able to see it now, but something different is possible. This is A Way Through. Hi, and welcome to A Way Through. If you haven't listened to previous episodes of A Way Through, I invite you to start now. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. Our mission on A Way Through is to help students and worried families in the throes of teenage substance use by showing them that there are viable options for restoring their physical, mental, emotional, and academic health. I'm your host today, Jamie Edwards. And I invite you to please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at Archway Academy and on Facebook at Archway Academy HTX. In today's episode, we will discuss navigating the legal system and the trauma and stress that it creates for families with today's guest, Mary Beth Cameron and Elizabeth Westbrook. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Mary Beth is an attorney and founder of Goodnight Law Firm, and Katie, and Elizabeth is a family facilitator with the Goodnight Law Firm. Can y'all tell us a little bit about yourself? Let's start with you, Mary Beth. Hi, first of all, thank you for having us on the show. It's such a privilege to care for families um, in our area. I'm a native Houstonian, grew up here, went to HSPBA in the Houston area, went to UT for college, and Got married, had four children of my own, lived in Africa for a few years, came back. Basically, our lives, my family and myself, were just devoted and dedicated to using the gifts we've been given to helping those who who need some help. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about Africa. I find that fascinating that you lived in Africa. It was very cool. We started in Uganda. We lived there for about nine months, helping some friends of ours who started an orphanage there. So we um, we worked at an orphanage for a while. That was very eye-opening. And then we ended up doing Young Life, which is an outreach to high school kids, a Christian outreach throughout the world at the international schools in Arusha, Tanzania. We did that for about two years. So the most beautiful part about it that I think is relevant to you guys and what y'all are doing is teenagers are teenagers are teenagers all over the world. They are struggling to find identity, struggling to find worth and willing to try almost anything to find and achieve those things. And so um, it was a beautiful experience and one that I love to talk about. So (laughs) thank you for asking. (laughs) Thank you for sharing. That is fascinating. And you did that with four little ones? Well, we only had two when we started. We had a third in between. And then our fourth one was actually born in Tanzania. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's it. That is Amazing. Yeah, very brave. That's the right word. I was struggling there. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So people might say stupid, but you know, we survived. It was okay. Yeah. Well, I think I do think brave is the right word. Elizabeth, tell us and our listeners about you. I've never left the United States. 
<laughs> um, I'm from Kansas. Uh, I'm an only child. I got my undergraduate degree in social work from the University of Kansas. Spent 10 years staying home with my three kids. Kind of got them launched into, into educators who are just, we need to pay them all so much more. And then am now finishing my master's in social work at the University of Houston. And so what's really great about what I do with um, Goodnight Law Firm as a family facilitator is just this idea of thinking outside of the box about what people traditionally believe about what co-parenting looks like, about what divorce looks like, about just relationships. And so what I've really found is my heart is to just take the stigma out of mental health issues, take the shame out of recovery and just really love and meet people right where they're at. So it's a beautiful fit for all things that I care about. And then I just get to do it with Mary Beth. So it's a double win. Yeah. <laughs> so that is why we are so excited to have y'all on and why we loved having you come out and do a tour, because obviously that's our heart too, uh, families and kids and wanting to remove that stigma and shame. Sure. which is such a big part of substance use, both for the individual that is struggling and for, you know, family members, parents that, that love those kiddos and that are struggling right alongside with them. So I'm going to go to you first, Mary Beth, and can you share with our listeners, I know your heart behind why you do what you do, but also like there's a a legal component to it as well. And that's the importance of staying out of litigation and the traumatic impact that it has on families who are trying to navigate that court system. Right. And correct. Yeah. yeah. And substance use is, is very hard and can be very hard on a marriage. And so sometimes the family does not stay intact due to the impact of mental illness, substance use. So we, I know, have a lot of families who have struggled with this. So share with us what it is that you guys are doing at Goodnight Law Firm and and the purpose behind it. Sure. Well, you know, the legal system comes into play in so many ways. I mean, we've got, you know, substance abuse issues are common Usually, uh, criminal prosecution comes into play at some point as well. I will say with the juvenile system, most of the people involved, even the prosecutors, the judges, the attorneys, really hope to try to rehabilitate the children, um, not to ruin their lives. And it looks different when you're a grown up, when you're an adult with kids and substance abuse comes into play, especially depending on the frequency, the severity. The family court system can get a little bit more punitive and try to keep children away from parents with substance abuse issues. Sometimes they know that. Sometimes they're in denial about that. But typically, there's also generational issues. A lot of times, parents that struggle with that have kids that struggle with that. And maybe it's not the same substance. Maybe it's just the same addictive behavior. And so... One of the most important things for anyone in, in this area, in this arena is self-awareness. The sad part I think about, I typically have experience in family litigation, family law litigation. So that's divorce, custody, modifications. I'm also a mediator and also a family facilitator. Those are all um, different aspects of the legal system. So as an attorney, most attorneys in family law 
we are very, very trained at being attorneys. We're not trained as mental health professionals. We're not necessarily trained at conflict resolution unless we've done it by choice. And so you get these these players that have a very strong influence over your case giving you advice. And because of their apparent authority, it seems like the best advice. But what can happen if you've got a dysfunctional, boundaryless, maybe substance abusive attorney as well, it can actually make your life way worse, way, way worse and make the litigation process twice as painful as it should be. So if one of your families finds themselves in a litigation, do your homework about who your attorney is and what they believe in, because it will have a direct impact on your family for the trajectory of your family for the rest of your life. So Mary Beth, based on all that, what is it that you guys are doing different at Goodnight Law Firm for the family? Gosh, I love this question. A few, about a year ago, a gentleman called me and was about to have his very first visitation with his child since the divorce. His his daughter was seven. Mom had just moved and the daughter didn't want to go. And he didn't know what to do. He hadn't seen his daughter in weeks. He didn't want to forego his visitation. The wife wasn't trying to force the seven-year-old to go. It was a mess. They didn't know what to do. And so a lot of times people think their only option at that point is to sue, to file a contempt action, to file an enforcement action. And guess what? You're thousands of dollars in and right off the bat into an extremely high conflict case. So what I did is I talked him off the ledge and I said, hey, buddy, there's this thing called parenting facilitation. And essentially what it is, is instead of going straight to litigation, I can step in, I can talk to wife, I can talk to husband, or I'm sorry, ex-wife, ex-husband, and we can come up with a plan that y'all agree on that's good for your child. And guess what? We did. Dad went to visit daughter and spend Christmas with her in her new environment. And that was what this little girl needed. They had a hard time. They had just gone through a huge conflict. They couldn't communicate in that way and come up to that solution on their own. I stepped in and I helped them. And because of that process through family facilitation, they saved thousands of dollars and maybe months or years in litigation because we came to a resolution that was good for the kid. We are literally turning the other direction of litigation. We are encouraging parents to take control of their lives. We are giving a voice to the children because they have almost none in the legal system. And we are helping parents learn how to navigate post-divorce or post-separation life. Um, And it's beautiful. It's new. Family facilitation is relatively new. Most people don't even know it's an option. Um, Even judges and attorneys are hesitant to use it because it's not familiar with what they know. But every single facilitation case that has come my way, um, we've saved them thousands of dollars in litigation and painful controversy. It's been wonderful. That is fantastic to hear. And I would imagine that you're not only saving them in litigation fees, but Further down the road, you're saving them in therapy fees. <laughs> problems that arise, right? Exactly. I'm from a divorced family. I was divorced. And absolutely, it impacts the individuals going through the divorce. But just like substance use, substance use, it impacts the entire family system when you do that. Very dysregulating. Oftentimes, the kids 
really don't have a voice and, and you carry a lot of guilt. Like, are you going to go with mom? Are you going to go with dad? Who are you going to back? Um, who's right? Who's wrong? You know, I was young and I didn't, I didn't know it at the time. I, I didn't know until I was much older that uh, it was my daughter and I for years and years and years, just she and I, and I didn't realize that I had kind of fallen into a pattern of making my daughter kind of like a para spouse where I would have conversations with her as if she was an adult and we were talking things out. And, and, you know, that's just not a child's responsibility to navigate what's best for a family or to even really, I, I didn't mean harm, but I know that I did harm. I think it has a lot to do with why my daughter grew up thinking that my emotional well-being was her responsibility. And that's a huge burden for a child to care. Mm for her to carry. So let me jump over to you, Elizabeth, and and ask you about that. So that kind of falls into like familial cohesion and effective communication practices. Can you talk about that in the family facilitation process? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think when you look at family systems theory and you realize that we have a bunch of individuals that are making up the family unit, we're not always moving in unison. And so if we have a peacemaking daughter who wants to turn the other cheek to dad's you know, alcohol misuse, are those turning into enabling behaviors? Conversely, is dad's or mom's substance use, uh, misuse, is that then driving a wedge in the relationship? And so I think if we check our own beliefs about the people that are walking into our sessions, we, and we can do these virtually and we can do these nationwide. So it's not just, you need to come to the good night law firm. We can meet people where they're at. And I think that that is one of you know, to piggyback off of your question of what, what are we doing that's different? I think it's exactly that. Like what barriers are in place to families that are not a white family in Katie? Maybe they're a black family in Katie. Are they an Asian family in Katie? Are they, um, you know, of Middle Eastern descent in, in Katie? Like where do we get to meet people and, rig- and rigorously check our cultural competencies and not realize that family is a one size fits all model because there's more than one way to be a family and there's more than one way to be a thriving family. And so what we're doing is building something called new roots, family facilitation. And that is really establishing multiple households that are somehow having to come together. Either mom and dad weren't married, maybe mom and mom are in a new house, maybe dad and dad are in a new house. You never know. Right. And so we want to establish new roots for these families to just thrive. We're not having people out here just surviving willy-nilly. We really want to enable people and encourage them that you are capable of so much more than, you know, if somebody's labeling you an alcoholic, that's that's ridiculous. Like there's so much more to our intrinsic value and worth than the label that somebody has given us, especially like the students and the families that have that come into your into archway, right? Like, are they keeping quiet in church? Are they keeping quiet in their families? Well. How do, how do we get you to a place where you're comfortable with, okay, this is just what we're walking through. Right. And, you know, that is such a um, a big piece in families in particular that, well, first of all, when you're not co-parenting effectively, which you don't even have to be divorced to not co-parent adequately, <laughs> right? Exactly. <But> yes. <laughs> if you are divorced and either you're remarried, he's remarried, both remarried, mm-hmm. um, like I'm, I'm thinking in, in my family, having remarried, uh, my daughter's father is remarried. Not only are you oftentimes hiding things from one another, 
or you're not communicating effectively. But in homes where there's active substance use, there's shame around that, right? Which we're fixing to talk about, hopefully. And you keep things, especially if it's a step parent, which sometimes it's very hard uh, when it's a biological child of one and not of the other and what that looks like in a family. And I know for me, I really struggled with feeling like I couldn't always be honest with my husband about what I was doing around my daughter and could have conversations sometimes and then other times wanting to hide things because he may or may not approve or be on the same page as me. But my rationale was, well, that's my daughter. It's my only child. And just all the the ways that we can begin as loved ones to rationalize and justify our own behavior and the shame around that. And then when you have two parents that are not living in the same house and instances that you guys have given so far, maybe not even living in the same state or near one another and all the problems that arise out of that, it just seems like there is so much that could be done through this new uh, family facilitation model that they're starting to implement. And I'm so glad that you guys are doing it, but I certainly hope other organizations pick this up or other uh, law firms pick this up and and carry the ball on that. Can I just speak to that really quick? We, we hope to launch in the next, you know, within the next year, a full-fledged training program for family facilitators. So the Texas Family Code has uh, requirements, statutes that require family dynamics training, conflict resolution training, and... What's the, what's the third one, Elizabeth? Oh, I just hung my, there's basic mediation, advanced mediation or ADR. It's family violence. I think it, it's, it's special training in family violence dynamics. And so we're going to create the program and a licensed social worker, a professional counselor, or an attorney are all qualified to complete this training and implement parenting facilitating in their practices. So stay tuned. That's very big. And we can't wait to do that. We're going to hopefully bring in some big hitters in all three arenas, you know, excellent mediators, excellent social workers, excellent therapists to help create a training program that really will hopefully change the face of family law and just families in general altogether. That is wonderful to hear. And we had Harris County Juvenile Probation out, uh, the assistant DA, uh, as well as people that run their their specialty courts and programs last week to tour here on campus. And you had mentioned earlier that, especially with juveniles, the goal is to not ruin their lives, but to have reconciliation with families and restore these kids in a healthy manner, not be punitive. And absolutely, that is what we're hearing from them. And based on conversations, it just seems like something that these courts would be very interested in engaging in for the sake of the kids and the and the family members. So that's exactly correct. It it really can, you know, there are those situations in family law where one party is truly abusive, sociopathic, manipulative, narcissistic. And the the other party doesn't necessarily know how to fight for themselves, how to bring the truth out, those kinds of things. Well, in some cases, you have 
30 minutes to maybe a few hours to tell a lifetime of trauma to a judge who then gets to make the decision for the rest of your life. That's going to impact the rest of your life and your children's lives. When you have a facilitator, this is different than an amicus attorney, an ad litem attorney, or a parenting coordinator. If you have a facilitator for the kids, they can testify in court. It is not a confidential process. So what ends up happening in those kind of unique situations is people either work with the facilitator or the facilitator gets to express to the judge who's not playing nice. And when it's coming from a neutral, educated, trained third party, that has a, it goes a long way in a court system. It goes a long way with judges. So it, it also is kind of, kind of limiting some of the psychological abuse that happens between um, divorced parents or co-parenting that can happen in that arena. Right. That is wonderful to hear. You just told us who facilitation is for and who you guys are hoping to bring together to build this curriculum to then implement. So the next thing then that I would want to shift to, and this goes to you, Elizabeth, is in talking about this being an out-of-box process, something, you know, that y'all are bringing to the community. Where did this idea first come from and where did y'all get your training? I have a really unique way of getting to where this was. And it was because I went through it. I did not expect to go through a divorce. And um, maybe about six, seven months after my divorce was final, Mary Beth brought me on to the law firm to do marketing. So I was the marketing director for Goodnight Law Firm. In talking, I realized that I had gotten my license since I had my bachelor's in social work already. Um, And she's like, Elizabeth, like, would you like, would you ever consider this? So I went through a basic mediation training. I went on to family mediation training and spent a lot of time learning a lot about it. And so that brought me to here. And I think realizing, I think it's twofold for me. One, the fact that like my life wasn't over because I got divorced in my thirties. Most of that was kind of challenging my beliefs about what does that say about me if I can't, if my marriage that I covenanted in when I was 22, still in college when I got married, went on to have three kids. What have I done to my children? Now I have to work to put food on the table. And it's like this overarching, like Cinderella story, right? Like I haven't gone from like made it this fairy tale situation, but it's like, I think if you can take, and I use this analogy a lot, just make lemonades out of lemon. Like you're not this, what society says, these kids, these families are not just whatever DSM five diagnosis their therapist has given them or their social worker has given them. We're so much more than the sum of like where we don't show up as well as we want to. And so one of the beautiful things about the law firm, about New Roots is Mary Beth is just such an expert in family law and reaching the what's not really being said. She's able to see past, okay, well, here's what I'm telling you what's happening, but asking the right questions in the right way to say, oh, what you really might actually mean is this. Is that true? And her way with people is unrivaled. Not a shameless plug, but kind of a shameless plug. Like we've been the number one uh, family law firm in Katie, I think three years running now. She's the number one family law attorney for a reason. It's not a popularity contest. This isn't 
you know, homecoming king and queen attorneys are everywhere. But whenever you can flip the script on what it means to be an attorney and give people their lives back, I mean, I will partner with that all day long. Right. Where did the family facilitation kind of movement began? Is it Texas? Oh, okay. I have absolutely no idea. I just know that I am one and it got brought to me and we went through the code to see like what all, what, because there's five professions, you know, and she went over them. Another one is a marriage and family therapist. And I think a really basic way to kind of describe it to people is marriage and family therapy meets mediation where it's not, we're not having these like mediated settlement agreements where by the end of it, you can have a legal divorce. And I'm not giving anybody a clinical diagnosis and referring them to a psychiatrist for Lexapro, right? But it does lend itself to this beautiful marriage of rethinking what it means to either one, rightfully protect your children from from a hurtful dad. Has dad had a lot of money and is really well known and can afford a really great attorney and mom has put her career on hold because she wanted to stay home with her kids. She, she's not as aware or educated about family law. And so how do we get to serve those families, protect men who are also victims of domestic violence, uh, victims of, you know, have, having a spouse or a partner who does misuse substances. It crosses all genders, all races, all ages. And we know that. So instead of just always capitalizing on where's our bottom line, how what are, how many billable hours can we get? It's these are people and we just want to love them well. And I think we do a really, really good job. Right. Well, and I think it sounds like by prioritizing the family 100%. and making that your priority and not the billable hours that yeah. kind of opens y'all up to. Well, and two, I mean, I I think of a a case, you know, I've got a couple of children that are in uh, middle school and to your point earlier about, you know, what type of conversations am I having with my daughter that maybe in hindsight, I could have handled that differently or better. Mm -hmm. Um, One there's, you know, for fellow Christ followers, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right. And so um, how do we take the shame and stigma there? It just, we leave it for those that are not and who are maybe battling some of that. Oh man, like I blew it with my kids. I I stayed too long. They saw things they shouldn't have. I didn't know what to do. Also, how many decisions are we putting on the shoulders of 12 year olds to make when I was 12 versus how my almost 12 year old lives night and day. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's insane to me. And so when we're putting decision-making in the hands of still children, regardless of how either experimental with drugs or sexuality or um, boundary pushing they are, which is normal adolescent behavior as we see over and over and over again. Sometimes we have to educate parents that it's okay to just be the parent. It's okay to say no. It's okay to enforce those boundaries. And how do I equip you in our session? How does Mary Beth equip you in her session to say, have you maybe considered that these things aren't working? And it might because of that be because of this. Let's try it. Let's circle back. Let's have an ongoing dialogue. And it's not linear. The family that you had when your daughter was two was not the same family when she's 15 or 25 or 45. I think we have to also check ourselves as facilitators on what am I telling you that I think you should be doing versus what actually works for your family. So it's check your privilege kind of thing. Well, and I think it's so important that it's trained professionals absolutely have the mental health background to be able to navigate those conversations 
And to your point earlier, the work that you guys are doing and helping families tease out some of the ideas around their parenting, I I know that I have certainly been guilty of because I did divorce young and because it was just my daughter and I for so long, imagined or real, I carried a lot of guilt around that. You know, I made a lot of decisions that were guilt-based thinking that they were the right thing to do. And what I've since learned is guilt rarely leads us to a right decision. You know, again, sometimes I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, my daughter graduated high school when I was 39 and uh, I had her young. And then other times I think I'm like, oh, thank God that was over with. But then other times I think how great it would have been to have had a little bit more life under me a little bit more experience under me. And maybe that would have affected my parenting. Maybe it wouldn't have, you know, who knows? Yeah. And so I hope that parents that are listening, just hear these different nuances or find themselves in something that we're saying. One thing that I think that you brought up earlier that I want to circle back to is talking about how we as loved ones, parents, as students, children, were more than the individual pieces, you know, and we're more than whatever the diagnosis may be. We live in a society that is shifting, which I think is great. However, we're still pretty entrenched in certain ideologies and thought processes that can lead to the shame that follows mental health, stigmatization. We're pretty entrenched in the ideas that substance use is a moral failing and deserves punitive actions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So can you, can you talk to what it is that you guys are doing through this new roots facilitation program that helps diminish the shame and the stigma for families and the children? Yeah. I think one of the biggest pieces of what we do is the fact that I may have an LBSW after my name right now, but I'm still going to leave. I'm still going to make dinner for my family. I'm still going to do bedtime. I'm probably going to ask 15 times, did you guys brush your teeth, right? Like who we are in session is just a piece of who we are. And so when we recognize that our humanity, whenever we walk into this, yes, we may be licensed by a regulatory board. Yes, we may have, you know, some sort of higher education. We may have what have you, but at the core of who we are, our lowest common denominator is our humanity. And so if we're able to remind families that we're just all in this together. And there is not, and I find that I say this frequently, like there's not a future cleaned up version of yourself or your family that is more worth loving than the one that's showing up here today. You may be sober, but intrinsically who you are carries value, worth, dignity, respect, and it should all be cared for well. So when we have professionals come in that are like, if I've got an LPC, that's maybe not as familiar with the legal side of things. Like I'm not because I didn't, you know, I didn't pass the bar exam and go to law school, but praise the Lord. I have Mary Beth that I can glean from and say, Hey, here's something that, that I'm not really sure about. We've, I've got a custody situation. How might, how might you advise here? And so I think having in-house the fact that my clinical mental health training, Mary Beth's legal background lends itself to a really unique partnership 
that think is evident. It doesn't, regardless of the fact that we're both really high energy and we love what we do, it comes from a place because we both have a past. We both have a story. You know, she's still married, happily married to the, the only man she's ever married. She's got four beautiful daughters. I am remarried. I've been married six months. Uh, my ex-husband is remarried. Those dynamics of, you know, I know when I kind of to your point, like right after our divorce, how many of my, my parenting decisions were made in overcompensation because I felt bad. Uh, all of them, right? Sure. We can have ice cream for dinner. Cause I want you to think mom's house is fun. Right. Mom is just fun because mom is mom. And so when we can empower parents and say, you know what, you are valuable, you are worthy, your children's decisions are not necessarily a reflection of you. Are there things that maybe you could do differently? Can we help them? Absolutely. But it's not, you're not the reason, you're not to blame, you're not the fault. And that's a powerful thing whenever you stop having people or yourself in your head all the time, just like you blew it here and you blew it here. Or if they only knew this, if they only knew those thoughts, no. Right. One of the things that was really eye-opening for me in multiple conversations, one of the times my daughter was in treatment and we were doing some type of family thing, I was talking about, you know, the guilt that I carried and, and you know, I was, I was so sorry that I had stepped away from the marriage and that, you know, she had basically for the majority of her life, been raised um, apart from her father in the sense that he just didn't live in the same area that we did mm-hmm. and that there, there weren't any long-term steady male influences in her life. And, you know, just feeling the guilt and the shame of, of having denied her that and her saying to me and, and thinking that somehow that was why she had turned to drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. and her saying to me, mom, I never knew what it was like to have a dad in the home because she was an infant or a very small child when we divorced. And she said, you're, that is, that is a guilt that you carry. I don't ever think about that because it's not, I have nothing to compare it to. Like I had a good childhood. I loved my home. I loved it being you and I. And so I just think that there are many things that we as parents can internalize and we parent from that internalized position. Yes. And it may or may not be rooted and grounded in truth at all. Yeah. And, and if we're to believe Dr. Brad Reedy, who I believe that we should believe, um, the author of the journey of the heroic parent and shameless plug speaker at our luncheon this year, but he talks about the fact that Many of us parent from the position of our childhood wounds and without meaning to, um, obviously the intent's not there, but those are kind of where the dents and the dings that we put in our kids come from Mm -hmm. is our own resolve, unresolved issues. And, and there's a lot there for parents to unpack when their kids are struggling with a substance use or a mental health issue. And you do feel like because it can be true. There is truth in this. You do feel like the world is judging you. And if you were a better parent, your kid would not be experiencing X, Y, and Z. And so it's it's important to us that we do say to our parents over and over, and we especially like to get the message out in the podcast that are there things that we could do better as parents? Yes. But most of us are showing up and doing the best that we can with what we have. 
And I'm just really glad to hear that you guys are offering uh, a service to the families to remove that shame and stigma. It's just so important. I think it is because unless you're in it, you don't know. Like I would have never known about Archway unless I was in grad school and was told about, uh, I think it was like National Overdose Day and listened in to Generation Found, connected with Sasha, connected with you guys. And it's like, when you can trace back the ways like in your life, things have lended itself to exactly where you are. I've been the mom that just didn't want to be home and drank. I've been sober for, I guess, maybe a year and a half now. Just, I never had a diagnosable substance use disorder, um, but I definitely misused it heavily because it was a cop out for me. I was like, I just, I just can't even right. like how, how millennial of me, but it's true. Like there, there's this, I think almost this phenomenon of people in this age bracket right now that are having these midlife crises or revelations of, okay, I've lived this way, but does that mean I have to still like, and that doesn't mean like, if you've been living as roommates with your, um, with the other parent of your child, like you don't have to get a divorce. Like you can, you can take the necessary steps forward to maybe try to work towards that. But also if you do divorce, there's not guilt and shame there either. And depending on your religious institution, that may be very heavy, depending on what crowd you run in. That may be very heavy, especially if, you know, if you're married to an athlete or married to somebody really prestigious in oil and gas or the medical field or whatever, there's, there's more to the family dynamics than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. And when I think one of the beautiful things that y'all do is really just level the playing field. And when I did my tour, it was so beautiful to see that every student and every professional, whether they were mental health professional, whether it was you or Sasha, whether it was the teacher support staff, everybody, same level of dignity and respect across the board. There was not a hierarchy of anything. And it's a really beautiful thing to watch when nobody's performance-based anything. We're just loving each other well, trying to operate in an honor system. And you create, at least from the short time that I was there, a beautiful opportunity for people to want to be able to come to you and say, hey, you know what? I blew it, but I know that I'm still family here. I know that I'm still loved. And you're not getting, my kids aren't getting that in school, public education. Like they're not, they're not getting that type of environment. So in any way that I can support and be a part of and champion the work that you guys do, I'm in a hundred percent. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Thank you. That is wonderful to hear. It's very important to Sasha and curating the culture here that we have a culture where if an adult messes up, if an adult engages in some type of behavior that is demeaning, demoralizing, just wrong in any way, that the adult cleans that up with kids and vice versa, right? Because we don't want kids to get sober and live crappy lives. Like we want them to get sober and have great, fulfilling, meaningful lives. And that includes rich relationships and how to be in relationship, whether it's it's with someone in a romantic sense or family members, whoever that may be. But so many of our kids have been in environments where adults didn't apologize to them. Yes. There was no, I'm sorry, that was out of line. That was wrong. Um, certainly I'm from a generation where absolutely no way 
were my parents going to apologize or if there was some type of encounter? Uh, Parents were always right. Educators were always right. Um, You just didn't question or second guess the authority of adults. And obviously, there's a balance to be had there, but it's very cathartic for our kids to have adults say to them, I was wrong. I am sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. Humility you- is not something that we do well. We're just not right. by nature, humble people. Right. Uh, Kendrick Lamar, as it were, sit down, be humble. I'll just make the reference, right? Like there, there is so much to be said for a well-placed, I'm sorry, even if you follow it up with a, will you forgive me? Mm-hmm. And I think it lends itself to relational reconciliation where if what we're being taught, and I just talked about this in in a work meeting, this idea of in what ways do we show up in conflict? Do we withdraw? Do we negatively interpret? Do we escalate? Do we shut down? Do we invalidate? And I got that all from that. Those are not, those are not my words, but I have remembered them. And I think that as we, as we work with families, as Mary Beth works with uh, whether they're legal clients or not, whether mine are mental health clients, family facilitation clients, whatever it is, We have to learn how it is that we're showing up because conflict is going to be everywhere. You're going to experience it at work. Okay. How how do we engage and what does it mean to overlook a minor offense? Am I really mad that you didn't call me back or what is, or what is actually going on? And whenever we can equip parents with um, this idea that like, you can't, I don't think you can demand respect. All you're doing is behavior modification and drawing a wedge. You're not, you're just getting somebody's saving face. If my kid's like, sorry, like we know you're not, I said, I'm sorry. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's those little things that add up over time. We're in a session with a licensed professional, with what we do with new roots or whatever. It is a beautiful opportunity to change the literal trajectory of lives. And it's, I don't think that you don't think you're ever too late. If your kid's a senior. Okay. They're going to have grandkids maybe one day. Do you want to be able to get along with your child and see your grandkids? Do you want to be able to see their grandma or their grandpa or what have you? Okay, well, then let's do the work now. There's no shame in it. Let's go. Very passionate about this in case you can't tell. No, I love it. And, I, and I'm so glad. And, you know, I think at the root of the 12 steps mm-hmm. is, is the concept of amending your behavior. Yes. Making amends. And being responsible for yourself. And I would say another root thing is living life on life's terms, which is very difficult. Sure. And, and oftentimes, I'm, I'm sure y'all have seen this with the sessions that y'all do, and we definitely see it, is so our kids come and, and that's the community that they are living in eight hours a day is a, a recovery-based community with the concepts and the principles of the 12 steps. And so when they leave here, they go home and they begin engaging the family system different, possibly. And, you know, some things start to get turned on its head. And I can tell you that it can be real uncomfortable whenever someone starts to change the dynamics in a family, even even when it's in a healthy way, right? And so, you know, I think the work that you guys are doing is just invaluable. I'm so happy that you guys have brought this concept to the Houston area. 
for our listeners that are in Katy and anywhere nearby, because I heard you say earlier, you can connect with families, not just a person, nationwide. Nationwide. This is just, this is so great to know that this is becoming accessible. Yes. In the legal community, as someone whose loved one has been engaged with the legal community, I think it's another way for our justice system to become just. Sometimes our justice system leans a little heavy in in punitive actions. And it's great to hear that y'all are balancing that out with this family facilitation and getting in there, offering a different way, a different route for families. I'm really glad to know that you guys are doing what you're doing. Yeah. And as an added vote of confidence, Mary Beth got a phone call from a local judge who we had shared that we're doing this with a few weeks ago, brought me on as the court appointed facilitator on the case. And so we're not just like surface leveling this, like we're trying to get in and make a legitimate change, eventually, hopefully a policy change that says, Hey, the, what we're doing now works in some instances. Sure. Mm-hmm. Is there a better way for others where our hourly rate is about half uh, mm-hmm. of legal fees? It bears some credence in where it is. And we have actual judges in local counties who are hard bought into the idea of, oh, okay. And so that brings me a lot of comfort and a lot of excitement, just like professionally to realize we are on to something beautiful here that has already existed, but we just want to go out and capitalize on it. And so with, with people like y'all, with the judges that we're able to work with, I just, I'm excited to see where this thing goes. Me too. And so families and professionals that are listening, mm-hmm. uh, now, you know, reach out to Goodnight Law Firm. They can get you connected and for those who are listening, can you please tell us where we can find you guys uh, on the web and then also on social media? Yeah. So um, our website is just goodnightlaw.com. Phone number is 713-929-6218. And then on Facebook and Instagram, we're just um, at Goodnight Law Firm. And so that's what that's where we share what we do. Our new root stuff is being built and building the website right now. So we're not ready to to have traffic to that because it's a work in progress, but it'll be a really great opportunity to just impact the community in a really great way. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining sure. us. Thanks, Jamie, for having me. And it was a pleasure to meet you. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to A Way Through, brought to you by Archway Academy. The views and opinions expressed by our guests on today's episode are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Archway Academy. To learn more about us and the topics we discussed, visit us at archwayacademy.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Archway Academy or on Facebook at Archway Academy HTX. Any links we mentioned and links to all of our guests on today's episode are just a tap away in the show notes. We look forward to meeting you here again on A Way Through.